Hello again, everyone who's listening. This is Jason Elliott bringing you Ready to Game, Episode 2. If you're on Board Game Geek, you will find me as Paladin Elliott. You can find the podcast on SoundCloud and iTunes. I do videos and written reviews. So without further ado, let's go ahead and start Episode 2. Alright, folks. A serious thing... Right from the uh, get-go, where I'm here in the Buckeye State, uh, suburb of Columbus, in a place called Hilliard, and uh, this is a couple days later than what I originally wanted to do. Uh, so this is Monday. Uh, we're about 10 after 4 Eastern Standard Time. And I wanted to just talk to you guys, just sort of like a public service announcement right from the bat, where one of the students at the elementary school where my son and daughter attend uh, committed suicide, a 10-year-old fifth grader. And I know this is sort of a very serious thing to hit from the get-go, but I wanted to take a moment and just stress to everyone that when something like this happens... You think to yourself, what if it had been my child? What if it had been to my brother, my sister? I mean, it's a terrible thing. And the suicide was from severe depression. So I wanted to take a moment and put this out there to all my listeners, that if you know someone who is having trouble or could be suicidal, I want you to use this number. I want you to write this down. I want you to give it to someone who can help them or you help them yourselves by taking responsibility and getting involved. It's 1-800-273-8255. It's the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. And I just want to take a moment. This 10-year-old, this uh, Colin, who was at the same school, uh, he, he will be missed. And I just want you guys to realize, I know you guys care. You're good people who listen to this. So if you know anyone who could use that type of help, help them. Reach out. Take responsibility. Make a difference. I know you guys will. I believe in you guys. I believe in the power of the human spirit. So I just wanted to get that off my chest. And that explains why I didn't get this out sooner to everyone. All right. Now that we got the uh, heavy stuff out of the way, I wanted to start going through the normal podcast, episode two. So let's just start with some of the things I'd like you guys to take a look at. So from Board Game Geek, the designer diary of uh, Tetrarchia, and I may be saying that long, or the Four Swords of Rome. A story where by the end of the 3rd century BC, the Roman consul Marcus Claudius Marcellus was nicknamed the Sword of Rome for his exploits in the wars against the Gauls and the uh, Carthaginians. I almost joked on it. Five centuries later, by the end of the 3rd century AD, the times of the Old Republic are too far away and the now Roman Empire seems doomed. Enemies cross the borders, rebellion spreads over its provinces, and when an emperor has both the courage and the ability to face the threats, usurpers take his place in Rome, increasing the chaos. The emperor, Diocletian, sees only one revolutionary way out, share the divine power with trusted colleagues. In a few years, he forms an imperial college with um, Maximian, Constantius, and Galerius, leading to the first Tetarchy. Now the swords of Rome are four, and they are going to fall without mercy over their enemies. So, it's from the Designer Diary series at Board Game Geek. I want you to take a look at it, the four swords of Rome. Uh, The author, Miguel Marquis, uh, goes through his steps of his passions behind the game. Uh, The first steps of the mechanisms and how he defined them, how he put it together. Uh, the map design is actually very beautiful. I'm looking at a lot of Europe and Western Asia, along with um, the North African section, along the Mediterranean and some of the Middle East. So you're looking at your very stereotypical Roman Empire map. 
Um, he has capitals involved in the game. And I just think it's really something to keep track of because you get to fight for Rome. Uh, he explains his design choices. And I think it's worth a look. Um, it's an ongoing process for him. And I, I think when this comes to fruition, it's going to be a, a game worth playing. Especially if you're into military conquest and or history. So also in the news, I don't know if any of you users have seen it on the tablets, but from Fantasy Flight Games, the Descent 2.0 companion app, Road to Legend. Now, for anyone unfamiliar with this, Descent is a dungeon crawl board game you pick your heroes they can level up they can leveling up as far as gaining abilities making themselves stronger dungeon descent exploration get the treasure defeat the bosses and the baddies that are trying to get in your way to said bosses and some of the players on board game geek and fantasy flights forums have talked about how you know, it can be a lot to keep yourself involved in the game because once you start adding additional products, it becomes more convoluted in the sense of what am I going to do for a campaign? What exactly am I going to do for setup? Um, what I've done versus what I would like to do. And this app addresses it nicely where the very first thing, once you start getting the app set up and you've get yourself logged in you can register your products the ones you own or have access to through the library fantasy flight games for 2.0 and because of you telling it its products it's able to in its algorithm expand the different options of characters you may be trying to rescue bosses you may need to fight the missions you need to take on, and it basically creates the library of options for you based off of the products you have. Um, I've already been in uh, process of testing it. I like what I've seen so far, and it's something that I want you to check out. You can see it through the iOS Board Games app news, or you can see it at Fantasy Flight Games website. Uh, again, this is Descent 2.0 companion app for Road to Legend, and uh, it's free. That's another nice thing. It's uh, You're not investing additional money into it. This is a way that Fantasy Flight Games is showing you that they are invested you invested in you uh, as their customer, giving you an additional tool, and I think a very important and very powerful tool to get more out of not just your Descent 2.0, but all the add-ons that you may have invested in. So make sure... You take a look at that. Um, what else? Are we, let's uh, go with uh, one of the ones I've been keeping my eye on, as in thinking about um, purchasing and owning. It's a board game known as the Gallerist, as in galleries, as in art collecting. This is one I've had my eyes on. It's out. I've been uh, watching it. Uh, through the sites like CoolStuffInc.com and uh, MiniatureMarket.com. So let me tell you a little bit about it. So in the gallerist, this is the age of art and capitalism has been created uh, a need for a new occupation. You are the gallerist. Combining the elements of an art dealer, museum curator, and artist manager, you are about to take on that job. You will promote and nurture artists, buy, display, and sell their art, and build and exert your international reputation. As a result, you will achieve the respect needed to draw visitors to your own gallery from all over the world. There's a lot of work to be done, but don't worry, you in the game can hire assistants to help you achieve your goals. You can build your fortune by running the most lucrative gallery and secure your reputation as a world-class gallerist. You will maximize your money and thus win the game by... Having visitors come to your gallery, exhibiting and selling the work of arts uh, works of art that you obtain, investing in artists' promotions to increase art value, and achieving trends and reputation as well as curator 
and dealer goals. This is something that's won several awards. Um, let me just mention a few. All from 2015, the Golden Geek Best Board Game Artwork Presentation nominee, the Golden Geek Best Solo Board Game nominee, Golden Geek Best Strategy Board Game nominee, and Golden Geek Board Game of the Year nominee. So definitely some accolades. Been watching, watching this. Um, Tom Vassell over at the Dice Tower has a video up for it that's worth a look. Um, there's additional reviews. Um, I'm hoping eventually to get my review in on it as well. Uh, but it is another one that I think is worth a look for you guys. So again, the gallerist, uh, and that is G-A-L-L-E-R-I-S-T. So make sure you give that a look when you have a chance. So let me go ahead and dig in to... One of my reviews right off the bat. Uh, this is Watchmen of De Destiny from Lucas Production. Uh, let me tell you a little bit about it. So, time of uh, gameplay has ran around an hour. Uh, you want to have the highest amount of points at the end to win in this game. Uh, you use cards, Watchmen, that are six different animals that have coin values on them. You discard them as money to spend on building tents, tents that will let you recruit the Watchmen. Uh, and then the races that can be recruited is the rabbit, the otter, the owl, the dog, the mouse, and the cat. These animals have a class that goes with them. Uh, warriors, for example, give you one point each in addition to their point score at the end of the game. The Assassins will allow you to go through five cards from the Watchmen deck, choose one for yourself, and place the other four back on the deck in the order that you want. The Mage will allow you to take two cards from the discard deck and return one either from two, from the two or from your hand to the discard deck. The Hunter class, which adds two gold to any purchase of the tents you're trying to tame, or have items, uh, or Watchmen, Ninja, or excuse me, or Watchmen that include the other classes such as Ninja to obtain. The Ninja class, which allows you to call out Ninja and take the top card from the discard pile when another player is using cards to pay for a purchase. You will also have items that are played each turn, and in addition to these items' abilities, the cards will also dictate how many cards you draw for that turn and how many total actions you can use that turn as long as you have Watchmen out on tents that have actions that they can take. And that will be denoted by circles above the card on the tents. Each card, as I said, has a point value, which you add up at the end, then adding uh, what it calls the majority bonuses in the game. These go by the animals, the, the animal types. So, example, I have three cats in play, and another player has two cats in play, and another player has one cat in play. I have the most cats, which gives me the majority, and then you add up all the cats to figure out how many points it is. I have three cats. Uh, player B has two cats. Player C has one cat. I had the most cats, so three plus two plus one. That means for my cat majority bonus, I get six. Uh, you conduct this bonus for each of the animal races in your game, and then ties mean that all the people who are involved in the tie receive zero points. You can then also suffer negative points for duplications of a card that has the same race and same class. Uh, you ignore the number on the card for the negative penalty. So every time you have one of those duplications, you get minus one to your final score. You're going to prep with the Watchman deck a number of races of animals that is one more than the number of players in the game. So if you have two players, it's going to be three races. Shuffling them up. Deal out the appropriate number of the cards, um, three cards uh, to two, uh, or three-player game, or two cards to a four- or five-player game, uh, and that's going to be to each player. And their joke is that whoever uh, pet an animal most recently in real life gets to be the start player. Uh, they're going to take the necklace item uh, to denote who starts the turn. Uh, and from there, uh, you start 
looking at the numbers on the bottom middle of the card that will signify the number of maximum actions on the Watchmen that are allowed to be played as you play them. Uh, you're going to have some Watchmen cards to start with, some item cards to start with. You choose an item. As I said, the necklace already denotes that you're the first player. And you'll draw as many cards as dictated by the item card played, which is the number in the bottom left. You can purchase tenths at a cost of one gold each. Seven tenths is the maximum to get out your seven characters. And then hire Watchmen to be stationed at those tenths. Perform actions if you can with what the, what you've recruited. The number of actions uh, come from the item card, so you look to the bottom right number. And when you can't or you choose not to do anything else, you declare pass for your turn. When you use the cards for money, you will see on the card money icons running along the lower left side of the card. Uh, they're going to either going to have one, two, or three money icons, and that's how much money it's worth. Uh, if I turn in a card with three icons, I have three money. I can spend that on tents at one gold each, or I can spend that towards hiring another watchman if I already have a tent open. So the in-game condition, when someone has hired their seventh watchman, they make the current round uh, the final round of the game. Any players that have not played during that round get to finish their turns, and then the game is over, and points are counted out in the way previously mentioned. So... To summarize, people who like card games, who like fantasy-themed games, who like deck building, action points, uh, being an allowance, uh, variable player powers, and hand management are going to be interested in this game. So that is Watchmen of Destiny. Um, it's a game that I've been able to work on and review and playtest, along with an expansion for up-and-coming Bloody Mercenaries. It's gone through a successful Kickstarter and will hopefully be out um, available in stores later this year, uh, tentatively uh, at the end of summer, the start of fall. Now, actually, I, for the first time, get to say, and now a word from our sponsors. Uh, let me tell you about a gentleman by the name of Dave Wild, who has now started officially sponsoring uh, Ready to Game podcasts, DJ Wild productions he's got a game called marshmallow fight so i want you to look that up i want you to look up dave wild that's w-i-l-d with marshmallow fight marshmallow fight is a game where simply put it's fluffiness in a game so you have a game about stunts performed with marshmallows you complete these stunts successfully you're awarded points the first person to reach 10 points wins the game. One ex uh, exception to this is a fast attack card that is drawn, and you are able to grab a marshmallow and throw it at one player. If you hit the player in the forehead, you get two points. But here's that catch. If they somehow catch it in their mouth upon the attack, they automatically win the game regardless of the player's scores. So I want you to check that out. You know, when you, when you get the game... You get the set of instructions, a 30-second timer, 36 stunt cards, 50 plastic scoring tokens. All you need to go along with it is three to six marshmallow-loving people, a coffee cup or something similar that serves as a hoop container for marshmallows thrown, and, of course, bags of marshmallows. So, for my family and I, we played this as a two-player game and thoroughly enjoyed it uh and then we also played it as a family game with our two little ones arnold and talia seven and five and you can find a video review up for that on board game geek if you look up marshmallow fight and you look at videos uh, from the tab options or the written review that i've posted Created by Dave Wilde, the game, and can be found at thegamecrafter.com. Uh, I want you to take a look and see if it's right for you. Uh, you got a game where you're going to draw a stunt card. You're going to attempt to complete it. If you complete it, you get the points. Uh, let me give you an example. You may draw Stack'em, where you stack marshmallows in a single column, and for every two you have... You score a point in the column. Uh, 
so they have to hold up for three seconds. Now, the coffee cup, the shoot and score, you aim for the cup. You must be an arm's length away. You can't fully extend your arm in the attempt, and if you get the marshmallow in, you score two points, just like a standard basket. Uh, things like the chin chop, what I refer to as the tough one, or basically, uh, it looks like a dog trying to eat peanut butter. You have 30 seconds to tip your head back, place a marshmallow on your chin, and move your chin to get the marshmallow in your mouth. You get three points if you do it. Uh, the choice card is like your wild card. It has a question mark on it. And you can choose any stunt except uh, ones that are pink, the fast attack, or the marshmallow fight. Um, so you get to just pick the stunt you want from the blue cards, the standard stunts, and then attempt them uh, according to the text. Uh, let's see. Goalpost. If you remember playing paper football at school... So you got your hands up as a goalpost, and you have, th uh, you have an attempt to flick the marshmallow through. If you do, you receive two points. Uh, the mouth toss, where you have 30 seconds to toss a marshmallow into the air and catch it in your mouth. If you get one successful attempt, you receive three points. Uh, the fast attack I already told you about, except that you want to make sure you're aiming for their forehead. If you hit the forehead, you get the points. Uh, the marshmallow fight, or otherwise known as the nuclear option, once it's drawn, everyone grabs marshmallows and opens fire. Uh, once all the ammo is used up, all the marshmallows on the ta table, players vote on who waged the fight the best. The players vote voted for player voted for will receive two points and the person who drew the card receives one point you are not allowed to vote for yourself so in the case of my wife and i and the two player just to test it we uh, split the points if more than one person hits or goes over the 10 points at the same time then you go into tiebreaker conditions if someone has the highest score as more than one person hits 10 or above then they have the highest score, plain and simple. If there's a tie from that point, then a marshmallow duel takes place, and and the other people who are not involved vote, and whoever waged that duel the best or the most entertaining is declared winner of the game. So I want you to take a look at the game because it's it's just simply a great game to have around. Uh, you know, if you need to blow off stress. If you're in need for a good laugh, um, this is a great party game to go to. It's a filler, fluff game. Uh, my wife thoroughly enjoyed hitting me in the forehead on a fast attack. Um, she was laughing to no end every time I attempted the chin chomp. Uh, we ate marshmallows during the games, including with our little ones where we got the miniature marshmallows. So... Check it out. Dave Wild, DJ Wild Productions. Definitely worth a look. Fun game to get your hands on. Um, and I know he's doing some contests right now. So if you can link up with him on Facebook, you can post to some of his threads and attempt to win some of his products that are being drawn. Uh, I think his next drawing um, will occur June 1st. So make sure you get in on that. Make sure you take a look at his products. Uh, definitely worth a look. So I know I mentioned a little bit in the past and people have been seeing it come up, but I wanted to exp explore it more thoroughly. Uh, from Artana Games, Tesla versus Edison, the Powering Up expansion. So... In the expansion, you can have robots that serve as player AI. So, let's say you're doing a solo game. Well, these robots have preset instructions that all you have to do is follow what they would do. They go first. And you'll be able to talk about with um, other people afterwards how your solo game played out. You follow their instructions, and then you get to play yours. Now, this is the expansion to the Tesla versus Edison game, where originally you had five inventors. Powering up uh, involves the 
sixth player, um, Madam C.J. Walker, based out of Indianapolis, Indiana, for the history of the game. Uh, as a refresher, this is the late 1800s, so we're talking like 1880s, 1890s, 1900s. So you get the sixth player, you get headquarters, um, you have these robots to help you if you want to do not only a solo game, but say you have two players and you want to have a computer AI, so to speak. This robot, you follow the instructions, so you have an additional player that you are not only, um, you may be trying to overcome in addition to the player, the human player that you're battling. Uh, so just to recap, uh, the six inventors, uh, Nikola Tesla, Thomas A. Edison, Elihu Thompson, Charles F. Brush, Sir Hiram Maxim, and as I said, Madam C.J. Walker is introduced. Uh, the major focus of the expansion from Artana is to introduce the females of the time, uh, the ones who not only contributed but play some role in the historical war of currents. Uh, the stats... On the cards introduced in the expansion are right on par with the base game, so you don't have to feel they're underpowered or overpowered. Um, there's additional events introduced to the game. Uh, the events now occur right after the bidding, but before the rest of the turn. So, this edition, events, base game didn't have them. Now it does, and they're really a lot of fun. They're basically taking from the characters in the news stories that actually occurred in real life. So when you play this game, you are getting a real sense of how it played out. You're seeing images from the actual newspapers. You're reading snippets, um, flavor text on the cards. And it just really... Artana's done a wonderful job transporting you as the player back to what was really going on as these inventors were hashing it out. The stories, the flavor, the theme, it really, uh, if you like science, if you like history, if you like inventions, uh, this is a beautifully themed game, and the expansion uh, matches it equally, uh, it doesn't miss a beat. Um, so, there's some beautiful ways that the score gets increased in this game. The headquarters that I mentioned, you get these four components to the headquarters that you have for each of the six inventors. The laboratory, the works, the office, and the studio. Uh, to build one of these, you must dedicate one of your luminaries, your inventors, or your head inventor, to building one that shares the same icon. Now, the icons in the game, the bolt, the gear, the dollar, uh, the sign, or the horn. The horn is propaganda. Uh, excuse me, the dollar sign for money. Uh, the gear for inventing power and the b bolt um, that serves basically to represent uh, their know-how with the electricity. So you, you bid on the luminaries that are out. You resolve a new event card and adjust stock prices as necessary. Now what the stock's about is that you're manipulating stock. You're going to have your preferred stock in your company. So there's six players, there's six companies. You hold a preferred stock that is worth four stock value, and these stocks will fluctuate through the game. So you want to buy low, sell high, and it helps contribute to your victory points at the end. So if you have the highest value stock at the end, you will be awarded six points per stock certificate. If you're the second highest, it'll be five. If you're the third highest, it'll be four, and so on. Um, you're going to take robot actions first if they're in. Otherwise, players take their actions in order from the fame track. The fame track is what dictates current and future, uh, who gets the go first. Uh, and then choosing from claiming a project. Projects being claimed is when you basically provide electricity to a city. Um, and so, like, in the smallest number of players game, like our two-player game, you only are across most of uh, the northeast region of the country. But as you have more players, you extend, extend out further on the map. These city projects range from level 1 through level 5. 
and that's talking about your bulb technology and your AC and DC technology. So there's your currents, the war of currents. There are a couple cities where you get to double your stock value at level 5. And so what that means is you're going to need level 5 AC and maximum level of bulbs. Whereas you can do the same thing. So DC maxes out at level 4, bulbs at 4, um, and your AC at 5. So you're using your inventors to use that bolt, the electricity in some cases, to they may push electricity more or gears more or you'll need equal amount of both to improve your technologies. So you may have to dedicate more than one luminary at a time to um, increase your proficiency level of the technologies. And then that's what helps you in claiming a project that has a higher level. So it's like you've improved the technology so you can do a more uh, sophisticated layout for a level, uh, higher level city. The higher levels, it's sort of like village town city. And it's 468 boost the stock. And then you have to pay for um, the cost of providing the electricity. But you get discounts through the dollar sign powers that vary depending on the three phases of the game. Phase 1, Phase 2, Phase 3. So, for example, if they have a dollar sign 1... In phase one, they get a thousand discount. In phase two, they get a two thousand discount. In phase three, they get a three thousand discount. So going back, so you can claim the project, you can advance the technology I already talked about. You engage in propaganda. So like Edison is a big one for this. So the propaganda war. So say you have two propaganda, two bullhorn on your inventor card. They get to manipulate two movements on the fame tracks one fame track as i said is current and future for your head luminary so that's a battle of who's going to go first in the next game turn the six game turns so the game turn one and two is phase one three and four is phase two five and six is phase three and then the other is a propaganda war for basically the popular opinion of the country of AC versus DC. So let's say I improve popular opinion of AC, so I'll get bonuses to my stock if I claim a project, power a city, using AC. And if someone, one of the other players, uses DC, they will suffer a negative penalty to their stock value when claiming because the people believe in AC, they don't believe in DC, and vice versa. Or it could be sitting right in the middle and neutral. So propaganda wars can can manipulate not only who's going first in a turn, but bonuses or penalties to stock values in claiming cities. In the headquarters, when you complete those four parts... If you complete one part, it's one point. If you complete two, it's three. If you complete three, it's six. If you complete all four, it's ten bonus points. Why they're important is that some of your um, components to your headquarters will give you an ability that is active for the rest of the game. And then you will have one on yours that will be you want to get at least before the end of the game to grant you victory points as a bonus condition. So... My wife and I referred to them as the 11th hour parts, the 11th hour cards, because you want to make sure you get them out at least by the last moment to score bonus points at the end of the game. You have bookkeeping that takes place where you adjust the fame track and the highest player receives a gain in stock equal to the phase, one, two, or three. Player or players with the highest level patents, AC or DC technology, and the leading technology get a stock gain equal to the phase, the one, two, and three. Uh, you will move the ACDC propaganda gauge one step back towards the center. It's like the propaganda war settles down until it starts up again, sort of a lull. Uh, players take cash equal to the profit listed on the bottom of the board for the column where their stock value is. Um, and then in reverse fame order, you may trade one stock for another, paying or receiving the difference. Then you may buy any one share of stock except the brand you traded. 
uh, if you traded. And you reduce or increase the stock accordingly unless it's the final turn of the game. So you're playing Maxim. I'm playing Edison. And I sell, or excuse me, I trade one of your stocks. You take a hit. Your stock value goes down. If I buy one of your stocks to try and increase my final points, it has a small bump up. So in the stock track, if if you take a hit, you shift, in this case the trading, you shift left, which can vary from a hit of 2 to like a hit of 6 in value for most games I've played. Whereas a gain is a value of 1. But it's a stock ward nonetheless, and it's really worth um, a look. Just If you like anything stock-related, this is a great game just for that. Um, let's see, where else can we go? Uh, and then when you get back into it after the stock, uh, you're doing a refresh where you flip all the luminaries face up, because it's basically, if you're familiar with Magic the Gathering, it's like you tapped them, you've used them, flip the card or turn the card sideways when they've been used up. You discard the event card, advance the turn track, and after the second and fourth turn, refresh the propaganda cards and have a luminary auction. The auction takes place at the start of Phase 1, the start of Phase 2, and the start of Phase 3. So by Phase 3, once the luminary auction is resolved, you have your main luminary and three supporting characters. So the final scoring, stocks, stock holdings work as the highest price company. Stock value will receive the 6 and then the 5 and so on. Uh, your final cash holdings, whoever's got the highest receives 6, second highest 5, third highest 4. I've already told you about the 1, 3, 6, and 10 for completing parts of your headquarters. Um, there'll be also bonus points you collect. You pay attention to the cards that are part of the headquarters. Um you want to get those cards out that have a continuing benefit as early as possible. Uh, in the case of a tiebreaker, the company with the highest value of stock is the winner, but otherwise, highest points take it. So some of the things that I really want to stress to you guys that I like about the game uh, is that this new expansion is very exciting. It's female characters. So let's say you have a female gamer in your game group of gamers and maybe they're feeling like they're underrepresented this is a game where all of a sudden it turns that on its head and they are fully represented and you can change up i mean with this expansion that's forthcoming because it's currently in kickstarter form you're going to want to get your hands on this because everything it adds to the game is absolutely wonderful and it gives you far more replayability more characters it introduces events um you have the headquarters. I mean, it does so much. It takes a great game and makes it better. Um, adding a six player. So now you've gone from, you know, maximum five to maximum six. And then these robots make the solo player experience absolutely wonderful. I could sit down later today and say, you know what? I'm, there's no one, no one else who's going to be able to game. So I'm going to set up two robots in this game that are going to have two different sets of instructions that follow. So Robot 1 is going to play, so maybe the Robot for Tesla. And Robot 2 for Walker is going to play. And then I get to play Edison however I want to play Edison. And you can change them up because all six characters have different robot instructions to follow. The, the cities they will try and power, the technology advancements they seek, and all and it's laid out on these robot cards and it's what's beautiful is the robot cards follow each step of the game so it's not like just this overarching set of instructions it's laid out in detail follow the card for step one for turn one follow the card for turn two and so on through the game for the character you want to bring in under robot control it's absolutely wonderful um as i said if you like inventor games, science games, history games for the United States, if you like games where every single decision in your game matters. Now, if if you don't if you want to play a game 
where you, you know there's not much mental investment then this is not going to be for you i love this game because every single decision i'm faced with every turn every time matters because one misstep could be the difference between victory and defeat um i personally scored this as one of my 10 out of 10s on board game geek um again i want you guys to look at artana a-r-t-a-n-a artana games they are based out of new albany ohio which is a northeastern suburb of columbus so another representation here for the buckeye state um i just i can't sing their praises enough um Tesla versus Edison is the base game. And then the Powering Up expansion. Uh, so make sure you take a look at that. It is definitely going to be something enjoyable. So let me uh, take a moment to go back to our sponsor once again. Dave Wild, DJ Wild. And his works as a writer with his role-playing um, gaming called Galaxy zento galaxy like the like in space and zento is z-e-n-t-o he's doing a competition uh, a drawing for this as well you have a chance to enter the drawing for a pile of free stuff that's galaxy zento um some of his writings books uh the marshmallow fight game so there's the prototype of the game your first bag of marshmallows is on him a special card to go with the galaxy zento game all four of his current books and a magnet, and all of and of course, all of them will be signed. So the post must be shared from his page. So you want to look up Dave Wild, DJ Wild. Wild is W I L D E, uh, creator of Galaxy Zento, creator of Marshmallow Fight. You can find Marshmallow Fight on the GameCrafter.com. Look him up on Facebook. He's been giving out his pre-summer updates. He's been giving out prototypes. He's looking for support, and I know my group of listeners will give him a look and help support him. So Dave Wild, DJ Wild Productions, Galaxy Zento, Marshmallow Fight. All right, so let's move on here. Uh, I've been trying to throw uh, a lot of good stuff at you guys. Let's talk about a another family game. Now this one, this one's a, a, definitely a funny one. It's called Unicorn Glitter Luck, or otherwise known as Unicorn in the Clouds. This is a die rolling, family friendly game that can be two to four players. You get to pick a unicorn, Glitter Luck, Stardust, Marble Flower, or Magic Heart. And you will move through a 26-cloud space track um, that has rainbows, gifts, presents. Actually, they look like uh, presents with bows on them with a lot of colorful art. The winner of this game will not necessarily be the first one to the finish line as you want to be the one with the most cloud crystals when someone or yourself has reached the finish line. You have two dice that are used. The first one is for movement. The movement die is a D6. It has two sides that have one cloud each, two sides that have two clouds each, one side that has three clouds, and the last side has a cupcake. So uh, why cupcakes? Because unicorns like to eat cupcakes. Who knew unicorns eat cupcakes? When they eat a cupcake, they stop their movement for the turn. You know, you have to take a break and... um, Enjoy the sun and enjoy the weather and eat your uh, cupcake before you get to move on. Whatever you roll, the amount of clouds is what you move. Uh, The second die is when you land on a cloud that has a crystal marking on it. Because you then get to roll this die. This die is also a d6 that has three sides with one crystal each. Two sides that have two crystals each. And the last side has three crystals. You get as many crystals as you have rolled. If you land on a cloud with a present on it, you give one crystal from the bank to any player at the table. And what my family was doing at this moment was normally giving to the person who had the lowest amount of crystals. If you land on a cloud that has no markings on it, nothing happens. If you land on a cloud that is at the start of a rainbow, 
you immediately get to move to the cloud at the end of the rainbow. Uh, it's a shortcut. And you can never move backwards in the game for any reason. The first person who gets to the finish line, gets to the end, receives a finishing bonus of four crystals added to their total. So what do you get when you purchase the game? You have the game board, which is made up of three parts that you just push together, sort of like puzzle pieces. As one side is the cloud and rainbows track, and the other side is to help anyone in your household who might have a hard time counting their crystals, young or old. By having four cloud tracks that go up to 20 spaces each for players to lay out their crystals and know exactly how many they have. Uh, you have one yellow unicorn, Stardust. One purple unicorn is Marvel Flower. One turquoise unicorn is Magic Heart. And one pink unicorn, Glitter Luck. You have the two dice already previously described. Uh, the game instructions and 60 cloud crystals are included as well. Instructions for this game come in English, German, French, and Spanish, at least for the copy that I personally purchased. Uh, so in our latest playthrough, my family and I, I finished first and ended up with seven crystals to the finish line. Our daughter, Talia, uh, won with ten crystals, and she was three spaces from the end. Uh, Mommy had three crystals, and she was four spaces from the end. And our son, Arnold, had five crystals, and he was 11 spaces away. So to tell you on the board, there's 26 spaces from start to finish. Three of them will move you ahead through rainbows. Nine will allow you to roll for cloud crystals. Three will give a cloud crystal to someone else. Thirteen of them have no effect, and then the final space gives you four crystals if you are the first one there. So, in conclusion of this game, this is a light family-friendly game that encourages and supports little ones gaining an understanding of game rules, game movement, dice rolls, and collecting resources. The game takes a warm turn not only through its family-friendly nature, the unicorns, rainbows, presents, bright warm colors, and pretty see-through crystals, but also encouraging players to decide who they will give those crystals to. The game plays in about 20 minutes, at least with our little ones, and is a great way to get the children to the table and you're spending valuable family time with them. The age listing on the box is 3 to 99, and our little ones, as I've mentioned, is 7 to 5, so it definitely holds true to its claims. This game is a must-have for those families who want to be at the table with their young ones, who seek a quick game so as not to bog everyone down, and is very cheerful to those who play it. If you seek any of these things, then this game is for you. So again, Unicorn Glitter Luck, or otherwise known as Unicorns in the Clouds. A, a must game if you need a family-friendly game with little ones, if you want to introduce them to the world of board games, if you want to spend quality time with them. It is a wonderful way to get them around the table I fully support it, endorse it, recommend it. Okay, so. Let's talk about another one. I've mentioned reposts in my previous podcast. About hopefully at some point they're going to get the Seven Wonders game. The actual app game to tablet. But in the meanwhile... We uh, have a review here um, from yours truly, Seven Wonders Duel. So this is a two-player game, roughly 30 minutes. Uh, we went one hour because I was teaching my wife. Uh, for ages 10 and up, it's a card-drawing, civilization-leading, construction-oriented, paying-attention-to-symbols type of game. You, re you, as a player, represent one civilization and its capital, Growing through raw materials, which are brown cards, specialized materials, gray cards, which is like um, your brown wood, stone, brick, your gray glass, and parchment. Merchants and business cards, yellow. Civics, um, blue cards. Your military cards are red. Your science are green. And then bonus cards, the guilds, are purple. It's through the drawing of cards you will either build the card as a normal building, sell the card for money, or sacrifice the card to build a wonder. All this will constitute your city. The game carries out over three ages, with the last one not only being the possible ending, 
but the only place where you will see the bonus purple cards, three of them known as the guilds. These are powerful cards that can help drive up your resources instantly and grant victory points in the end when you need them the most. There are three types of victories that can be achieved in this game. There is the military, scientific, and civilian victories. First, to address military power between the two cities, there is a track that has a neutral zone, a balance of power, and then can shift eight additional spaces one way or eight additional spaces the other. If one player is able to drive the military marker all the way down one side against the other player, not only will they inflict money losses on the opponent, but will score victory points and or achieve complete military victory by sacking the opponent's capital. The scientific victory consists of obtaining six out of the seven scientific symbols in the game. If you gain a duplicate of one of the symbols along the way, it'll allow you to take a progress token and... Progress tokens can be in the form of instant money, instant victory points, discounts to building wonders, and more. The seven symbols represent advancements such as the wheel, weight scale, sundial, and others. The civilian victory is only if the other two victories have not been achieved, and then each player totals up all their victory points from all sources, and the highest score is the winner. Now, in the case of a tie, the person with the highest amount of points that come from their blue cards, the civics, wins. The ages play out as each player has a chance of roughly playing 10 cards before going to the next age. You have wonders to choose from. Each player will end up having four through the process of taking a stack of 12, shuffled, drawing four with one player taking one, and then the other player takes two, and then the first player who had taken takes the remaining one of the four, then you draw another four, and the, plot, the process is reversed. The other player takes one, you take two, and then they get to take the last one. The remaining four will be out of the game, and then you will sacrifice cards to build these wonders when you also have the resources needed to complete them. You will want to be the first one to build three of your four wonders, for if you do, you will be able to lock out the potential of the other player building their fourth wonder, because only seven of the eight are allowed to be built in a game. On the cards you will find at the top the ability they grant. On the top left you will find their cost to be built. If there is nothing there the card is built for free. Also if there is a symbol in white such as a, a column, a tier, a sword for example, this will denote that the card is built for free if you have the corresponding card to match with that symbol. You will know this if the white symbol um, is a direct match on the card's top right. So an example is the garrison card with the sword icon. And if you have barracks drawn, it has the matching symbol, so you get to build it for free. This brings us to a very important aspect of drawing cards in the game. Each age has a formation that you lay the cards out in. Some are face up and others are face down. Some of these cards will be locked down and not available until you free them by removing the cards that pin part of them down. This creates another risk-reward system in this game, as you might go for what truly helps you, but you may, in that same act, free up cards that are a bene great benefit to your opponent, and you won't even know what some of them are until they're freed and revealed. The other thing I want to mention is that you may have to sell a card. It happens at some point. The base money you will receive for a card being sold is two, plus however many yellow cards the merchant businesses you have in play. Uh, so if you don't have any in play, it's two plus zero, and you will get two gold for a card. You may find yourself short of resources. You may need one more brick, so you must check your opponent's resources first. And if they have them, then you're paying more for each material you're missing. So here's the equation. Uh, for a resource you're missing. Two base cost plus the amount of the resource the opponent has. So I need a brick. They have two brick. I have to pay base cost two, and then I have to pay the number they have, two, two plus two, for each one I need. So for each brick I need, I have to pay four. The set of the game is you get the board out between the players, you get the military token on it in the neutral zone, the middle. You place the broken coin tokens out on the correct outer two sector sectors for each side. Uh, the broken coin 5 will be closest to each city, and then one step in will be the broken coin 2. Broken means you pay the other person. 
Shuffle the 10 progress tokens and draw 5 at random to be in the game. Place on the 5 corresponding circles above the military track. The others will go back to the board. And then each player will receive 7 coins to start with. So let me give you some thoughts in closing on this one. It was a lot of fun for my wife and I. She is normally not a player that had. She's not into games where there is a, a ton of things going on, a ton of things to track. But she did it with this game because she said once she got into it, it seemed much easier to keep track of things. It took a little bit of time for her to learn with a lot of parts in play in motion. But she said at that point it was still easy to play. Um, it's a good balance of luck versus skill. There's the luck from the cards you don't know until they're flipped. But there's skill. You are tracking your military advancement versus the opponents. Your scientific advancement versus your opponents. You're trying to keep track of the victory points you have versus the opponents. Um, along with what cards you're drawing and what cards are you freeing up for the opponent. Uh, it captures the theme of building a civilization beautifully. The game is stunning. It's visually uh, pleasing. Repost has a good reputation for doing this. Um, and this is no exception in Seven Wonders Duel. And even if you lose in this game, you will feel like you still have created a civilization. So I want you to look at Repost Games, creators of Seven Wonders and the expansions like Seven Wonders Babel, um, Seven Wonders Leaders. There's, there's a whole series to these games. And this is a fun one that, as I said, it, it can be played in 30 minutes. The first time session for my wife took an hour, but it was worth it. She thoroughly enjoyed it. Seven Wonders Duel. Now, as I start to wind down the last few moments of this podcast, um, I wanted to take a moment and talk to you guys. If you are doing print and plays out there, uh, I want you to be warned about what has happened to me over this past weekend. My Canon printer, the Pixma MG Mike Golf 5220 uh, print head went out, and this is... Once I found out through some searches over the weekend, was involved in a class action lawsuit against Canon that resolved uh, the statute of limitations for claims was December 2015. So if you're doing print and plays out there, if you're, if you're using Canon printers, I want you to take a moment and do a little bit of research. Track down this lawsuit that ended in December 2015. And if you have one of their products listed, be aware of the print head malfunctions and you have little recourse on it. It's fair warning. Uh, now, I was on the phone with Canon just today and they gave me a free shipping discount uh, to say sorry because I had been a loyal Canon user, um, purchaser. And I've been very upset about this because I'm pumping out print and plays uh, parts of these games almost every single day. It's been pretty upsetting to be down one printer. Now, fortunately, we fell back on our HP printer, um, but it definitely caused a three-day delay in print and plays that I had being worked on. Uh, upcoming... Uh, for next podcast, Podcast 3, one of the big highlights will be Santorini, referring to the Greek island, a game where you have to plan out your moves ahead of time, just like chess. You have to see moves in your mind several steps ahead. Um, I'm planning on having a video go out with it. Uh, stay tuned for that. Um, I'm also going to be talking about Dragon Warrior 1, since it's one of the games I've been playing. Uh, I'm also going to be talking about Wii Sports and Wii Sports Resort. That's going to be coming because I want to hit games I've been playing in more detail, which will be for next time. Uh, also, I'm going to try, the goal is to get out 
five total podcasts since this is number two. Get three, four, and five before um, the end of May. Uh, I will be away from doing podcasts for a couple days. So I'm going to try and make sure that all of you get plenty to listen to before that break. And then I will be returning to the podcasts um, in early June. But the goal is before that break, you guys will have five to listen to. Also, I'd like you to get in touch with me at JasonLynnElliott at gmail.com. I am in the market for a 3D printer. So if any of you have any um, good or bad experiences you want to talk about and let me know and maybe start recommending to me, that would be wonderful. Uh, let's see. Yeah, I think that's going to uh, about cover it. So again, I am Jason Elliott, Paladin Elliott on BoardGameGeek.com. This was Ready to Game, Episode 2. March 6th, or March, wow, May 16th, 2016. I want you to look at my written reviews, my video reviews. Um, I hope you look forward to what's up and coming. If you have requests, get in touch with me. You want me to cover something for you, let me know. And again, I want to thank Dave Wild at DJ Wild Productions for his sponsorship of ready to game and i hope all of you out there have a wonderful monday have a wonderful week until next time this is jason elliott signing off <laughs>